My name is Alessio Stockton Moretti, and I have gathered the following to unmask the inner workings of a small town that doesn't appear on most maps or satellite pictures, but exists there nonetheless. In fact, the only reference I have been able to find in spite of an intense internet search was in an old geologic survey I stumbled upon while going through a box of files looking for an old map of the surrounding forests for an article I was writing for a local paper at the time. The scientist in question, Dr. Susan Ortega, apparently filed the report away claiming there were no significant geological findings and seemed to write off the existence of the town as unimportant. Due to the general lack of interest in geologic results, the report never seemed to catch the eyes of anyone in particular, and Isamwood maintained its aromatic nature. People say that all small towns have their secrets, and due to the town itself seeming to be some sort of forgotten one, I intend to see what stories dwell there. In an attempt to bring to light a town of seeming peculiarity, I have decided to title the sum of my findings, The Isamwood Tapes. My initial findings after first pursuing this lead were interesting, to say the least. It seems that shortly after turning in the aforementioned survey, Dr. Ortega up and left. Her colleagues and supervisors claimed this was a rather sudden move on her part, having never hinted or even complained about the job or its setting once. She did manage to say goodbye to the few people who saw her on her last day. She turned in the proper paperwork and then vanished, leaving neither a future address or contact number. Her colleagues seemed to have assumed the best and moved on with their lives. People come and go, and this lot seems particularly used to that. It seems that my only lead outside of the town itself has resulted in a dead end. I have therefore decided to pursue this adventure on my own. I will pack a few provisions and hike my way by this old map to the village of Isamwood. As a wise man once said, men cannot discover new oceans unless he has the courage to lose sight of the shore. The town in question, Isamwood, is a village that hardly sticks out from between the dense trees and hills that surround it. The buildings seem to be separated by oceans of trees, which gives the little town a feeling of sparseness in spite of its lacking geological size. So, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? My name is Frank Gifford. I'm the town's electrician, 47 years old. Been married for the last 12 years to my wife, Meredith. I guess that's it. You're the only electrician? Besides a little help from my boy here and there, yeah. Town's pretty small, runs off two generators and a shed out in the woods over that way a bit. My job's to keep them going, ain't too much work. I expect that's why I'm the only one. I ain't got no newspaper around here. I ain't read one of those in a long time. Guess there ain't much to write about around here. It's mostly quiet. Now old Mr. Harlow just runs a pamphlet which he gives out to anyone curious enough. Not too sure though, haven't read one of those in a long time. I don't see any cars or outgoing roads around here. 
don't really need no car since everything we need is either right around us or gets brought in by one of the hikers that go for supplies on occasion. I mean, we got pretty much everything we need around here. Farms, gas, electricity. It ain't nothing fancy like what I hear people living it up like in bigger cities, but it's simple and mostly, mostly quiet. Mostly? It's a pretty nice place to be, my friend. That's all I'm saying. If you're looking for the goings-ons, I expect that Detective Wagner be the best person to talk to. He always seems to know the different things that are going on. I heard he was a big city detective, so I don't think he's very busy. It's mostly quiet around here. After my encounter with the oddly redundant Mr. Gifford, I decided to take his advice and seek out Detective Wagner. I was disappointed upon arriving at the detectives to find out he was currently out. I grabbed my notepad and wrote him a short letter describing who I was and that I was interested in learning about the town. I wrote him that I would be staying at the inn, which is located near the general store, and he can stop by any time if you wouldn't mind me speaking to him. I awoke the next morning to a cassette taped to an envelope waiting for me at the front desk. Good morning, Mr. Moretti. I feel the need to point out that what you're looking into aren't secrets anyone's trying to keep. And the information is there for anyone who seeks it. No one really comes around here and no one really seems to go. I've been here for four years and working where I've worked seeing what I've seen. I hope... I hope you understand that on principle I say you should head home only for the fact that you are correct in looking into this place. It's odd. My mission here has been the same as yours since I arrived. The things taking place here are of an extremely odd nature, and if you're hoping not to walk away from this with a warped point of view, it's easier to quit now. I know if you are anything like me, you'll want to push on anyway, which is why I'm attaching a copy of the Douglas Warsaw case. This was in the records when I arrived, and I think it's the easiest way to explain some of the oddities that occur here. I thought this was some sort of prank when I first got here, but after being here for just a few weeks, this ultimately became the norm. I'm interested in either seeing you or never hearing from you again. Either way, your life is about to change. Therefore, Mr. Moretti, welcome to life in Wood. Mm, ah, Douglas Warsaw, a man of 32, passed away Sunday, August 8th, 1882, had his lovely home in Isomwood. He was born to Henrik and Candace Warsaw. He worked as a construction worker with some of the other men of Isomwood. 
Douglas lived life to the fullest. He is survived by his wife Annette and six-month-old daughter Maggie. Douglas's wake will be held next Tuesday for any of the citizens of Vissonwood to pay their final respects. Okay. All right. Some old report. On the 22nd of August, 1882, around 3 a.m., a man was spotted walking around the woods at night. He was reported to be seen a few times in previous nights, so I decided to wait out in the interior of the Johnson homestead to get a glimpse. After seeing the figure pass from tree to tree a few times, I decided to pursue. As I approached, the figure did not seem to notice my presence. I called out to the suspect. He seemed to ignore me completely and kept muttering to himself. Though the muttering was unnerving, I did not feel that the man was threatening in the slightest, so I decided to approach him more directly. I put my hand on the muttering man's shoulder. He turned to me, continuing his strange banter. This was now audible to me. He kept repeating, the baby needs me. That's creepy. Uh, in between his repetition, I asked the man if he needed assistance. I raised my lantern up to hopefully assess the man's identity. I was startled at the face I saw and dropped my lantern, <laughs> which is how the blaze started. This actually seemed to help the man snap back into his mind, for he acted quickly in aiding me back to my own. Mr. Warsaw. What the hell? Mr. Warsaw and I were able to put out the fire before there were any before there was any major damage outside the loss of some sleep to the closer neighbors. So there's a misprinted date on the report. On the fifteenth of december eighteen eighty five, the scene at the Warsaw house was perhaps the most grim scene I have ever witnessed. A body was found on the floor by the living room fireplace and an old red chair holding in it a pile of sheets and blankets. It seems that her eyes were violently gouged out. She was then beaten until she fell unconscious and eventually perished. After some close inspection, the identity of the disfigured face was confirmed as Mrs. Annette Warsaw. Next to Mrs. Warsaw, within the pile of blankets, gently piled onto the chair... Upon further inspection, we uncovered the corpse of Maggie Warsaw, who seems to have perished of asphyxiation. The next room had the most disturbing scene we saw that day. Mr. Warsaw was found dangling from the ceiling in the next room, still fully conscious, hanging by the neck, attempting to undo his noose by means of slowly tearing at the threads with his fingernails, which were caked in blood. On the man's forehead was a small hole encircled with dry blood. The pistol which seemingly inflicted the wound laid down below his feet out of reach. He was choking and sobbing, seemingly trying to get toward the next room, repeating the phrase through grunts, The baby needs me. I'm just thankful that goodbye didn't have to last forever. A quote from Annette Warsaw's diary, dated just three days after her husband's re-emergence into the town. According to her writings, it seems he went back to work two days after his incident with the local sheriff near the Johnson homestead. 
His co-workers noted how much more he spoke of his daughter, but other than that, Douglas Warsaw seemed to be exactly the same as he was before. His mannerisms, appearance, the whole shebang. He assumed his position at work and his family as if he never left, believing his death to be a mistake, an accident, like a coma he woke up from. However, this just wasn't the case. A large support beam broke free from a hall line and fell, crushing Mr. Warsaw's left arm and causing the bone to pierce through the skin so it was very broken. The wound festered into a bad infection which led to his untimely death on August 4th, some two weeks later. This was all outlined in a torn out page in Annette's diary which was discovered after her and her daughter's death just four months later. I need to get my hands on the rest of that diary. Alright, Mr. Wagner has agreed to let me interview him on tape. I read through the papers you left me, Detective. I appreciate the late night spook stories, but what was your aim there? Is the problem with Ismwood someone sneaking in and filing a bunch of bogus reports? Are you more upset about the ghost walking around or the mishandling of your filing system? That's a good one. I never even considered that as a possibility. So, you're telling me that there was a dead man walking around the town for four months about a hundred years ago. Not only does that seem like some urban legend mythical bullshit, but it's been a hundred years. Even if it was true, how could someone like yourself believe that a story like that is credible without some further proof? I think that you're making a lot of judgments without further looking into the town, Mr. Moretti. I gave you that case as an introduction. It's as real as I am, I assure you. I told you to open your mind in the most basic way possible. The only difference between that case's existence and my standing right here in front of you is that you can see me. Seeing is believing, Mr. Moretti. Why don't you take a stroll down to the Ismwood Cemetery? Annette and Maggie's graves are still there. Maybe that can help you gain some perspective. Alright. Do you uh, have any more leads for me? Maybe a fortune teller or a palm reader? <sighs> Mr. Jonathan Harlow is the only person who has seemed to care about keeping some of the history of Ismwood alive. His place is towards the center of town. Maybe you can pop in and insult his work. Is there anything else I can help you with, Mr. Moretti? So, why is the only policeman in a small town called Detective? I figured you have more of a demanding title. Well, technically, I'm the sheriff. But that title is a little too old western for my taste. Anyway... I do too much digging and not enough finding to be a sheriff. To my knowledge, there never really has been an open and shut case in Ismwood. Thank you for your time, Mr. Wagner. And thank you for yours. I hope to see you soon, Mr. Moretti. In the year 1849, a group of settlers first put up cabins in the village we now know as Isamwood. The area was empty. This piece of land had no claim by nearby natives or any colonized settlements at the time. 
at least as far as record indicates. It was a perfect and peaceful empty plot of land. The only sign that anyone even crossed here before was a marking on a tree where someone had carved Lectulo. The new settlement was known for their hospitality and welcoming nature. The soil was plentiful and there was an abundant amount of wood and water to sustain the village. The settlement thrived and slowly grew to the peaceful place it is today. John Harlow is the self-made and self-proclaimed historian of Ismwood. Even though the village doesn't have a formal library, he runs the next best thing. He does what a single man can out of his house. He is a very welcoming man and claims he doesn't often have too many visitors these days. Trade is heavily valued over art in Ismwood, experience over book learning. His overwhelming enthusiasm to speak with me led me to great surprise when he declined my request to interview him on tape. Luckily, this did not end the conversation. After some talking with him, I was able to convince him to record some articles from old newspapers and books he has for me as I need them for my work. He seemed rather enthusiastic about that opportunity in spite of very firmly declining an interview three times. The Mulberry House began construction in July of 1882. It was an immaculate house, though it wasn't overwhelming in size. It was built for the Mulberry family, which was one of the founding families of Isamwood. Despite one accident in August of the year it was built, the house went up with very little problem, and the Mulberry family was able to move into the beautiful house mid-October just in time for winter. Now unoccupied, the Mulberry House still stands as an excellent representation of American Gothic architecture, as well as an epitome example of the pride and hope that the founders of our village had for the future. As I made my way from Mr. Harlow's, I started picking up on details I hadn't noticed before. Some light and redundant graffiti here and there. Quevede in red spray paint. Uh, there were a couple of figures with backpacks moving around the trees, but never venturing past the tree lines that surround each building. The citizens of Isamwood seem to be fairly content with their surroundings and don't seem to notice these things as unusual. The buildings look and feel old, but very upkept and clean. The town itself has a very muted color palette, with the wildest accent being a muted dark brown. It's almost as if the town is getting lost in the trees, the buildings, citizens, and foliage growing together until you can't even tell the difference anymore. I guess you really can't call it an accent since it's pretty much the same color as the trees which are all over the town. I decided to head out to the Mulberry House which was the site where Mr. Warsaw was injured, according to his wife's diary and the article Mr. Harlow showed me. The house is on the outskirts of town and is no longer occupied, though one would not know it by looking at it. The house looks as though the construction had just been completed yesterday, 
the clapboard siding is all intact and looks freshly painted and there isn't a single hole or visible dent in the shingling. Oh, the house seems perfect, but empty. There's no evidence of the house being a museum or for sale or rent or anything. It just looks and feels extremely empty. Since I was already near the outskirts of the village, I decided to go ahead and stop by the graveyard. A road leading to a large central lot, no gate or fence, nothing stopping anyone from getting in or from getting out. Nothing stuck out immediately, but as I started to pay attention to the names, I noticed the majority had been scrubbed clean. I was getting ready to leave when I realized where I was, the point where the date stopped being so recent. Curiosity hit me and I took a walk down a road bearing a familiar name. A small patch in the furthest point bearing the name Warsaw. I damn near thought I walked into a statue when I saw it. Hell, may as well been a statue of man covered in a film of dust and dirt. Coat, looking like it wasn't something purchased in this century. He hung his head low and stared down at the two lots in particular. I had my suspicions and I, uh, took care to approach with heavy steps as to not surprise him. With each step, he just stared motionless, prompting me to call out to him. Pretty wild seeing these old lots, right? Crazy some of them have held up so well. Sir, my name is Alessio. He didn't move. Damn well thought I could push the man and he'd fall and smash into a million pieces. My mind raced with possibilities. I took a look at the headstone he was facing. The names had been lost to time, but I saw the dates. Two dates, very familiar to me. It seemed crazy to believe. Perhaps the man I was looking at was a shell, a vessel, to a man who died nearly a century ago with his family. Excuse me. Excuse me, sir. Hello. He has scarring on his left arm as well as a dark circular scar on his forehead. Oh my god, I can't believe this is real. Mr. Warsaw. Hello? Thank you for listening to the Ismwood Tapes. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to our major social platforms through their links in the description. Also, let us know what you think of our first episode in the comments below. We would love to hear from you and bring you more of the Ismwood Tapes.